0: Have you ever thought about starting a cult? I have. I do think about it a lot, but not quite in the way that you might think. You're listening to We're All All Alright, the show that explores all the reasons we have to be hopeful, even joyful, about humanity and about our world today, despite what we see in the headlines. I'm your host, Phyllis Wilson. In episode two, I told you about my heavy consumption of justice and injustice related series, especially documentaries. Well, I have another confession for you. Just as high on my must watch list, maybe even higher, are documentaries and series about cults. They're related, of course. The injustices done to people inside cults are very real, and yet the perpetrators of those injustices are rarely brought to justice, largely because the boundaries of personal responsibility are fuzzy at best in these cases. That does seem to be changing, though, certainly in the court of public opinion, which we can now see in the huge and growing numbers of documentaries, series, and podcasts on cults, their abuses, their money-making endeavors, their exoduses and escapes, and really everything in between. Just to name a few of the many, many subjects of these kinds of series that I've watched, read about, or listened to. Here we go. The Rajneeshies, Led by the spiritual teacher who later became known as Osho, you may be familiar or have heard that name. They were the subject of the Netflix documentary series Wild Wild Country, which is excellent. Scientology, of course, there are countless series out there about them. The People's Temple Movement, more commonly known by their final location, Jonestown, and their final act, mass suicide via cyanide-laced fruit drink. If you're not aware, this is where the expression drinking the Kool-Aid comes from. It's actually kind of terrible when you think about it. It makes light of a truly horrific situation. Over 900 people died that day. Then there's Nexium, which has been both the subject of several documentaries and in the news recently as its founder, Keith Raniere. I think it's Raniere rather than Rainier. Anyway, (laughs) he was sentenced to 120 years in prison, essentially more than a life sentence, back in the fall of 2020. So obviously, sometimes abusers are brought to justice. Very, very recently, I watched a short documentary, I think it was three episodes, but there are more coming, on the Remnant Fellowship. It's a Christian church founded on the Gospel of Skinny. Okay, that's me being flippant, but that's essentially it. It's recently deceased founder, and that's like a whole other part of the documentary. She built an entire church around weight loss. The documentary is called The Way Down, and it's on HBO Max. And we can't forget QAnon. More to come on them in just a bit. As I said, there are many, many more that I know I've forgotten. All of this has had me thinking, are cults on the rise? I'm actually going to answer that question right now by saying no, not really, but also sort of yes. (laughs) In other words, it's complicated, as is everything that we've dived into this season. I'm also thinking about my own relationship with cults or more specifically cult thinking and about how easy it is not just for any one of us to find ourselves accidentally in or in close philosophical proximity to a cult, but also how easy it could be for any of us, especially those of us who are teachers, coaches, mentors, to find ourselves accidentally leading one. If that sounds far fetched, stick with me. I think you'll see what I mean soon enough. Instead of a five-minute history this week, I'm going to share a brief overview of the commonly accepted characteristics that define cults. And then I'm going to share what, from my perspective, is the present-day evolution of cults happening in plain sight all around us. I'll also share some of my own experience, even relatively recent experience, with cults and modern cult-adjacent groups. So let's start with what makes a cult a cult. Primarily, cults, number one, have a charismatic leader who not only sets the philosophical or spiritual foundation and tone, but also has total and complete authority. Number two, cults have a systematic educational process that is highly coercive, and aimed at fundamentally shifting their members' thoughts, beliefs, and ultimately their view of reality. And number three, cult leadership employs a system of exploitation of their members, most commonly financial, labor, and sexual exploitation, but usually a combination of at least two of those three. There are also a number of practices that don't necessarily fit into the above, but are very common among cults and cult-like groups. These include things like strong suggestion or even demand that members cut ties with families, friends, or others who do not share the same beliefs or who simply question the group or the leader's philosophy, method, or practices. Another is the subtle use or sometimes overt use of language that places the leader morally, spiritually, and intellectually above their followers and ensures that followers continuously strive to achieve their leader's level while feeling wholly unworthy and unable to actually do so. And finally, the use of fear and shame to keep followers from leaving the group, instilling fear about what would happen to them if they leave, things like social isolation or financial ruin, and shaming people who have left or shaming people for even having the thought of leaving. So those are the most commonly accepted kind of classic characteristics and warning signs of cults. But Cults are evolving, and as they do, they're getting more and more difficult to recognize and therefore have wider and wider appeal, and therefore wider and wider recruitment. Social media, of course, makes this easier, and their insidiousness makes them more and more dangerous. Take modern-day, largely if not exclusively, social media-based MLMs. While MLMs have been around since the dawn of time, well, not really, that's hyperbole, but certainly for much longer than most listening to this podcast have been around. Oh, editor's note, apparently the first MLM was named Wachters, and it was, surprise, surprise, a supplement company founded in 1932. So while MLMs have been around for nearly a century, their resemblance to and even outright mirroring of cults is a relatively new phenomenon. Okay, let me back up and explain what an MLM is for those who don't know. MLM stands for multi-level marketing, and it's a business model in which sellers of the company's product are able to earn money not only from direct sales, but also by building a team of salespeople under them and earning commissions from their team sales as well. Think Amway, Avon, Mary Kay. These are the classics, but there are tons and tons of them out there today. These companies, especially the new ones, very often walk the line between legitimate businesses and illegal pyramid schemes, and just as often cross that line and suffer the legal consequences. Their legality isn't the focus of this episode, and neither are MLMs in general, but it's worth noting that the extent to which these companies straddle the legal line mirrors the extent to which they straddle the ethical line, which is where we can see them crossing into cult territory and actually expanding or evolving or devolving, depending on how you look at it, the classic cult model. The biggest shift is in leadership, While a classic defining characteristic of a cult is the presence of a, quote, charismatic leader holding singular power and authority, MLMs have multiple leaders across multiple tiers of leadership so that power and authority is dispersed, to a degree, anyway. By design, the pyramid structure of this model means that there's only so much room at the top and there is a top. Still, leaders, especially those in the upper echelons, tend to have a degree of autonomy, particularly when it comes to setting the tone for the teams operating below them. And in some of these companies, we're talking thousands and thousands, even tens of thousands of people. And this is where the other classic cult characteristics really start to flourish. Things like training, some call it indoctrination, into a system not only of relentless hard selling, but of mindset that demands prioritizing the sales, the team, and the culture above all, and requires increasing distance, even isolation, from other priorities, including, importantly, people, like family often the very people that those who get into MLMs are aiming to make money for. Mindset training also often requires deference to, even reverence, for the leader, their lifestyle, I say in huge air quotes, and their success, again with the air quotes. A lifestyle and success that team members must aspire to, that's a key part of the culture, even as they must also pretend to have already achieved it, that particular pretense being a key part of the sales strategy. And finally, though this list certainly isn't exhaustive, exploitation, particularly of the financial variety. The system is designed, some might say rigged, in such a way that team members, which is to say salespeople, end up paying into it almost as much and sometimes much more than they're actually getting out of it. Essentially, the requirement for restocking the product far exceeds customer demand. Yet the training is to keep working the system, meaning paying into the system, until it pays off. And the promise is that it will and always does. You may be interested, though wholly unsurprised, to know that Keith Raniere, the founder of Nexium, who I mentioned earlier, was sentenced to 120 years in prison. He actually founded an MLM before founding Nexium, and got into legal trouble for it, and then used that same MLM structure to attract and recruit members for Nexium. QAnon is another example of the evolution of cults particularly in terms of leadership. What originally started in 2017 as one anonymous person, later codenamed Q, posting cryptic messages in an online forum, has morphed into a wide and wild landscape of influencer leadership, where charismatic, well, I suppose that term's somewhat subjective, so let's go with people who are really good at drawing a crowd, Act as translators of sorts of Q's messages, add their own spin, and then disseminate that, well, I was going to say information, but that's a strong word, to their followers. To me, this evolution of leadership is what makes newer cults so dangerous. If only for the simple fact that dispersed leadership means extremely rapid and far-reaching spread with the original core tenets of the founder's message being iterated upon, stretched, morphed, and distorted. So that while the founder's ideas may have been pretty strange in their original form, they would be easily dismissed by the relatively few people who heard them. But now it's become a game of telephone in which each person's interpretation of what they heard whispered by the person next to them is right. It's correct. And then they don't just pass it on to the person to their right, they pass it on to thousands and even more. You may be able to tell that I'm particularly passionate about this topic, and you may be wondering how I know all of this. Well, I have done some research as I do when I put together every episode, and of course, I'll link to some of my resources in the show notes. But I also have some personal experience and even relatively recent experience with cults, especially in their new evolution. As a quick first example, I'll share that in doing research for this episode, I came across a mini documentary on YouTube produced by The Atlantic. It was about a group called Enlightened Next here in Massachusetts that dissolved some years ago. The video is entitled, Holy Shit, We're in a Cult. And my reaction upon seeing the name of the group that this video was about was, Holy Shit, They Were a Cult. About 12 or 13 years ago, I was part of a community that on some occasions sort of intermingled with these Enlightened Next folks whom I distinctly remember at the time, giving me really, really strong and creepy cult vibes. But a big part of the reason I'm familiar with cults and their new evolutions is that the social media circles I travel in, particularly coaches and online marketers, are in very close proximity to and on their fringes even cross over into cult territory. For instance, it's all too common for me, and I know for many others, to come across coaches, particularly of the lifestyle variety, with sizable audiences who are unknowingly using language and spreading ideas and memes that actually originate with QAnon. Lastly, the MLM model and the classic cult practices that I outlined before that now come right along with MLMs have actually infiltrated the coaching space. And I, unfortunately, though I'm always grateful for every experience as a learning experience, I've actually found myself unwittingly part of that and had my own holy shit I'm in a cult moment. While I didn't actually engage in the coercive and exploitive practices I was guided to implement, because at this point I was already very solid and confident in my skills as a coach, I did ignore the fact that these practices were being taught at all. I'm not proud of that, but I think I justified it by thinking, well, as long as it's only being done to me, And I'm not actually following this advice and doing it to others. But that wasn't a conscious thought. If it had been, I would have quit immediately after the first bit of bad coaching guidance. It's only looking back that I can see that it was kind of like I had turned a part of my brain off. But that's exactly what happens to people who find themselves in a cult. It's designed that way. Hey, while I have you, I wanted to tell you more about that thing I do when I'm not podcasting. And that is coaching. All this curiosity and joy you hear me bring to this podcast, that's me bringing all of myself to everything that I do and discovering more about myself every step of the way. And that's exactly what I do when I'm coaching my clients. If you're an experienced coach, trainer, or consultant who wants to bring more of yourself to the work you do, expand your skill and capacity to serve much higher level clients, and create the kind of time freedom that allows you to pursue everything you're passionate about and become more and more of you, I'd love for you to contact me. Head on over to phylliswilson.pw and click on Talk to Phyllis. In another change up to our format this week, I'm going to combine the thought experiment and the good news into one segment I'll call the good thought experiment. No, well, I'll work on it. First, I'm going to offer a completely different way to think about cults, especially these new iterations. And then I'm going to leave you with some deep questions to ponder until we meet again. Have you ever hit on something, an idea, an explanation, a process, a system, something super simple and everyday like a hack, or how about a recipe, and thought to yourself, I am a genius, and then ran off to tell everyone you knew and even those who don't, meaning you blasted it out on the socials? Or maybe instead of giving away the system or the hack or the recipe, you just gushed about the end result, either because you decided to turn it into a business one day or because you just love being the proprietor of one of the world's best kept secrets, according to you. I certainly have. I actually have this apple pie recipe handed down from my grandmother. It is the best apple pie. In fact, one of my cousins recently asked me about it, and I hemmed and hawed before finally agreeing to send it to her. But that was over a month ago, and I still haven't sent it. Anyway, can you imagine that this is how cult leaders start? Seriously, can you imagine that just as no cult member... Ever walked in thinking, yes, totally joining a cult right now, bring on the brainwashing? That leaders, too, at least some and perhaps even most, didn't intend to start cults? From that perspective, do you see how easy it could possibly be? Because don't we want our fantastic ideas, our phenomenal recipes to spread? Don't we want to help people, to give them something good, something delicious, something amazing, something to strive for and achieve? We do want that for ourselves and for others, right? So then, is there something we can learn from this new iteration of cults, from this mechanism, so to speak, that causes ideas to spread and minds to change so rapidly and so pervasively? Well, I would say yes, and we need to look at how we're doing that and the impact it's actually having in real time. And that is the tricky part. So, no, to be clear, I'm definitely not advocating starting your own or my own cult. And yet, I want my ideas to spread. I want this podcast to spread. How about you? What do you want to get out there into the world? What would you like to change minds about? Right? See, it's tricky, though, because it's not easy for us as human beings to discern where or when our own desires beliefs etc begin to not just affect another human being or human beings because everything we do affects everyone in some way or another but where those ideas and beliefs start to impinge upon another's dignity their sovereignty their humanity and starts to cause harm. The irony of all ironies is that the ability to skillfully discern that line takes a great deal of, and in fact, a lifelong continuous practice of self-inquiry. In other words, personal growth and development, which is exactly the thing that cults are formed around. Exactly the thing that cult leaders and followers alike wind up exploiting and weaponizing. Our own natural curiosity about the human experience, our place in it, and how to make that place better. Do your research is just today's that's your shadow talking, which was just yesterday's you have to let yourself be torn down so you can be put back together. So how do we do that without manipulation, coercion, exploitation, and abuse? Well, that's the big question that I'm offering up to you and for me for contemplation. And here are a few more related ones. Is having an agenda always a bad thing? Or is it more true to say we all have them? How do we parent with our wisdom about what's right, true, and good while imparting trust in our children's own wisdom about those things? How do we teach guide and mentor with our own big ideas without impinging upon another's ability to formulate their own. You'll find a treasure trove of resources in the show notes this week. And as you make your way through those, please come and share your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. You can find me and all episodes of this podcast at phylliswilson.pw and on Instagram at allrightpodcast. And if you haven't already, don't forget to hit follow on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss an episode of We're All All Right.